Well, once again, Happy New Year. Oh, wow. Is it over already? <laughs> Happy New Year. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, welcome uh, those of you who are visiting with us this morning. Uh, again, we're glad that you're with us. We want you to be right at home. Make yourself comfortable. And you may be visiting and traveling and you've forgotten your Bible or something of that sort. Uh, this morning we have Bibles. There are a lovely couple in the aisles ready to hand out Bibles. If you need one, just raise your hands and uh, we'll get a Bible to you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, we want that to be our gift to you. Uh, take that as your very own. We hope you'll treasure it the way we treasure it, and we hope that you'll read it, uh, for in it is what we were just singing about, the words of eternal life, and in it is how God reveals himself to us through his Son. And so we're going to be thinking about the Bible this morning, and we're going to be thinking about our mission as a church. In fact, uh, we're starting a new sermon series this morning. If you're new to Anacostia River Church, uh, this is a great place to start visiting with us. Uh, we're going to be going through something we call our five M's. When we started this church almost three years ago, uh, we were looking at the book of Titus as kind of the New Testament book on how to establish new churches. Uh, and in that book, we summarized it with five M's. There's the message of the gospel. There is mercy to our neighbors. There is maturing spiritually. And then there is multiplication. We want to multiply the number of leaders and churches that preach the same gospel. And number five, there's missions to the world. So those are our, our five M's. They define our strategy, our objectives as a local church. And in many ways, everything we do comes back to one of these M's. Um, and this year, we're going to start the year in this little sermon series that I've called The State of Our Union. Um, you know, I'm ripping off the president, giving a, a sexy yes. I, I, I trust this will be better than the other one that we hear. But, but we want to talk about really the state of our union as a church family and our mission and our call in the neighborhood. And because those five M's run throughout the Bible, we're not going to look at them in Titus this time. We're going to sort of uh, do this as a topical series, looking at different texts throughout the Bible that capture these same, uh, these same truths and these same objectives. And so this morning, we're starting with the most important of our M's, that first one, to share the message of the gospel. And we want to look at Acts chapter 5, verse 42. We'll look at that single verse. Acts chapter 5. Uh, those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you'll, you know what Acts is all about. Those of you who are new to the Bible, um, this is a book in the New Testament. It's really a book of history. It's the history of the establishment and the growth of the very first churches and, and, and the Christian community after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 5, just for a little context, uh, earlier in the chapter, some amazing things were happening in this new church. Um, the people were giving um, in, in, and sharing all that they had so that the Bible says in, in Acts 4 around verse 32 or so that nobody had any needs in the Christian community. That everybody had their needs met because out of love, the church was sharing with each other. And Acts 5 begins with the story of this couple named Ananias and Sapphira, who, you know, they were with the church and, and they were cool with giving, but not that much, right? And so they promised to give um, from the proceeds of the sale of their home, but they kind of secretly agreed together to hold some back. And they were free to give or not give, but, but they were basically deceiving the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, 
and God in judgment struck them down. And the Bible says there became, there was this great reverence and fear of God because of that. And the people began to sort of be more committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and to teaching and preaching his word. And in Acts chapter 5, a couple of the leaders of the church were arrested for doing just that, for preaching and teaching God's word. Uh, And and they were uh, sort of brought into the Jewish leaders' um, council or court at that time and charged not to preach Jesus. And they said, well, you know, you say what you want to, but we don't know no other name to preach. We're going to go ahead and preach this Jesus. And so they beat him and turned him loose. And when they turned him loose, they preached the word and the word spread. And this is where we come to Acts chapter 5, verse 42, the very last verse in that chapter. If you're new to the Bible, when you hear me say the chapter number, that's the big number on the page. When you hear me say the verse number, that's the small number. So Acts chapter 5, big number, verse 42, small number. This is what God says to us in his word. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let's read that again. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease preaching and teaching that the Christ is Jesus. Now, with each of these five sermons, as we sort of take stock of our ministry and what the Lord is doing uh, in our church and what we hope the Lord will do in our church, each of these sermons has the same outline, same four points, same four Ps. We want to begin with the principle. We want to explain again and remind ourselves what we mean by that M. So we're going to start with the principle. Then we're going to talk a little bit about our progress, what we've done or not done, how things have gone or not gone. And then number three, we want to talk about the plan going forward. Some ideas for ourselves as a church as a whole, and some ideas, some questions I have for you individually and your your sort of personal commitment to the work of the church. And then finally, the fourth P is perspective. And we want to think about this principle and we want to pursue these plans and think about our progress with a good, healthy, biblical perspective about these things, lest we be sort of uh, drawn into too much pride or too much discouragement. Amen? Y'all with me? All right. We'll make sure y'all are out there. So let's start. Acts 5, verse 42. What's the principle here? Well, think about what's happening in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, we're told that there were 120 disciples on the day that Jesus ascended into heaven. After three years of ministry, Jesus had 120 followers. Doesn't sound like a whole lot, does it? And scholars tell us that in Jerusalem about that time, that the population of Jerusalem was between 150 to 200,000 people. So they were less than 1% of even the population of their city. A small band. 120. How many Christians are there in the world today? If you include Christians of every historic kind of denomination, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and Protestant, there are 2.4 billion Christians around the world. From 120 to 2.4 billion today. 
Even if you sort of say, well, let's just talk about Protestants, right? Let's just talk about those Christians we think have a, a, a good view of the gospel. There are 900 million Protestant Christians around the world today. How did the church go from 120 in this little room mourning the loss of their savior and leader to 900 million or 2.4 billion around the world today? Answer, they shared the message of Christ. They shared the message of Christ. Acts 5.42 says it very simply. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. All of the strategy of the early church, all of the biblical strategy for Christian ministry is right there in that one verse. Notice how they did it. Daily. Every day. Every day they were speaking of Jesus, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is God's anointed one to bring salvation to the world. For that's what the, that's what the Christ is. You may have a translation that says Messiah. It's an old idea in Jewish religion. It goes all the way back to King David. It goes back further. God had promised to Israel that he was going to send a chosen one, an anointed one, that would deliver Israel from all of its sin and deliver Israel from its captivity. He said to King David that there'll be a son of David that sits on David's throne and rules forever in righteousness and holiness. And he says in Isaiah, the prophet, that this Christ, when he comes, he will redeem his people from his sins. And so Israel has been looking for centuries for the coming of this chosen one, from the coming of this Christ. And here the early Christian community was convinced of this one thing, that Jesus is that Christ, that Jesus is that Messiah, the very one that God promised that would come into the world and rescue Israel, but not just Israel but rescue all the nations, people from every tribe and language and tongue. And that this Christ, this Jesus, is the very one who's done everything for us to be saved from God's judgment in hell. He lived a perfectly righteous life in obedience to God. And then he died a terribly gruesome death on the cross, suffering God's judgment in our place. So that our sins would be punished, but not in us, in him. And then he raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, proving that his sacrifice, God had accepted his sacrifice and, and that God had accepted his son and in accepting Jesus had accepted all those who put their faith in Jesus. And beloved, that's the same thing that changed Dennis's life. It's the message that changed my life. It's the message that changed the lives of those 120 people in that upper room in Acts chapter 1. It's the message that's changed the lives of every Christian in this room. And if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, it's the truth and the reality and the message that will change your life. That will rescue you from the coming judgment of God. Make you a new creature reconcile you to God so that God is no longer angry with you and you're no longer angry with God and give you peace and give you joy and give you eternal life. This is the message.
This is the gospel. This is to be offered to every creature under heaven. And this is the only way that people can be saved. And this is what they were dedicated to daily. But notice, not only daily, notice they're in the temple, in religious places of, of worship. So you will know that in its early history, Christianity was a Jewish movement. And so these early Christians were Jews and they were meeting in a temple there in Jerusalem and they were preaching and teaching that the Messiah that Israel was waiting for had come in the person of Jesus Christ. And not just in the temple. Notice how the verse goes on from house to house. So it wasn't just that they gathered and wanted everybody to come to the temple to hear a gospel message. It was also that they scattered and they went to house to house. They went door to door and they shared the message with people in their homes. They invited people to their homes to share the message. And so this was a message that was meant to travel, was meant to spread, was meant to go out. And notice, without ceasing without stopping. This was the constant activity of the earliest Christians. All of life was motivated by and centered on spreading this message that Jesus is the Christ. Daily, in the temple, from house to house, without ceasing, they made the gospel known. Let me ask you a question. How does their strategy, which leads to billions of Christians around the world, how does that strategy compare to the strategy of many churches today? I fear that many people will look at a text like Acts 4 or Acts 5 verse 42 and kind of go, well, that was way back then. Today we need to be slick. We need programs, we need strategies, we need something else, right? We gotta have a banging website. At Christmas time, we gotta have a, a Christmas pageant with live animals on stage and, you know, little kids swinging on ropes and stuff. And, you know, we, we just gotta get clever, right? Because the people won't hear. Well, listen, beloved, the people in this day, remember, they killed Jesus. It don't get more harder to the gospel than that. And the disciples were not like, yo, man, you know, we need something clever, something they won't notice, something we can slip under the, the radar. And then, then they go, ooh, Jesus is... No, it was very brown paper bag. Every day in the temple, house to house, without stopping, Jesus is the Christ. And I think God still uses that strategy. In fact, I'm certain of it. I'm certain nobody's ever been saved who didn't hear this message. And I'm certain that despite whatever bells and whistles go on, the thing that changed people was the message. If they're really changed. If they're really saved. And so what we need, ARC, is a, is a fresh commitment to this message. And, and we need to remember where they got this from, right? It wasn't that they had some uh, sort of strategic planning meeting and they sort of got some people together. Let's get some representative stakeholders from different groups in the church and let's have a retreat for three days. Uh, Peter, you bring the whiteboard and you write down what everybody's saying. And at the end, we'll put dots beside the thing that we think we ought to do and, and sort of come up with a strategy. That wasn't how it went. Remember where they learned this from. Keep your finger in Acts 5 and turn back with me to Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 1. And we're just going to take a tour of the first five chapters of Mark's gospel. Just, just noting one thing, kind of, kind of skimming through these chapters. 
And we'll see where they learned this from. Mark chapter 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right. If you're not there, we're going to go ahead anyway. Actually, Mark, Mark chapter 1, you'll catch up with us. Verse 14, this is what we read. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee doing what? Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus begins his public ministry preaching this very message that he is the Christ, that, that the kingdom is at hand. He goes to a place there, notice, called Galilee. Now notice in verse 16, he moves. He goes along the Sea of Galilee, and, and there he calls his first disciples. Look down in verse 21. He didn't stay in Galilee. They went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was what? Teaching. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue, and notice where he went, into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. You see, he's moving around from town to town by the seaside, and he's moving into the synagogue, which is like a local temple, and he goes from that temple, and he goes from house to house. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, was, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and, and there he prayed. And so you're going to see Jesus dedicated to two things in his ministry, praying and preaching. Praying and preaching, and then providing to people through healings and things of that sort. Chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, you see, it's, Jesus got this circuit that he travels out to Galilee, into the villages and towns, and he comes back to his home base in Capernaum. That's like his headquarters. He comes back to Capernaum. Now, verse 13 of chapter 2. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was what? Teaching them. Verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, in Levi, the tax collector's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Verse 23. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields. As they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Even out in the fields, traveling somewhere else, we find our Lord teaching. Chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue. Chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Verse 13. And they went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they, and they came to him. And that's where he appoints his apostles. Chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he explains his parables to his disciples. Chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. I just want to sort of illustrate that those first Christians in Acts were simply doing what Jesus had done his entire life and ministry for his three years on earth. He moved from place to place, preaching and teaching the gospel, in the synagogue, in the temple, in the home, by the sea, on the mountainside, with great crowds around him or just with his disciples, without ceasing. 
letting them know that the kingdom of God was at hand. And that's the pattern that he's left for the Christian community. So, in principle, here's what I want to suggest to us. Our ambition ought to be to do something to spread the gospel every day. Our ambition, Christian community, as a church, ought to be to do something to spread the gospel every day. Daily. That's the part that challenges me. I don't know about you. That's the part that hits me real hard. Now, to spread the gospel every day requires us to get our lives into our neighborhood. It means we need to move into the neighborhood. We need to build our social lives in the neighborhood. And we need to tell people about Jesus. To spread the gospel every day in this neighborhood is going to require proximity. That we be in contact with people. That we be rubbing shoulders with people. That we are actual neighbors to people. Uh, And we do that with a sense of purpose, with a sense of intentionality. Now let me be clear. Because I'm going to encourage us through these sermons to all move into the neighborhood. Okay, got a couple, got a clap, I got a chuckle. All right, I'm going to be coming with that every sermon. Move into the neighborhood. Now, I do not want you to misunderstand. I do not think that's a biblical command. You're not in sin if you don't do that. Amen? However, I do think we cannot reach a community we do not live in. We cannot reach a people that we're not with. We can't tell the gospel to our neighbors if we don't know the neighbors. Proximity is critical to mission, to getting the message out, to seeing people transform and lives change. And so when we think about how are we going to make it our ambition to share the gospel every day, I think that implies at least three things, that we move into the neighborhood and or, I'm going to give you an and or here, and or, if, God, if, you know, if you use your freedom to live elsewhere, you're not in sin, go ahead on, I'm still talking about you, but and, and, and or build your social life into the neighborhood so that three, we can tell people about Jesus. So that brings us to progress. How are we doing at this ARC? I don't know what the, what the figures are now, but when we launched the church, by God's grace, we began the church with about 60 members. And when we launched the church in April 2015, of that 60 members, if, I, if my, my old man memory is not failing me, about 27 or so at the time lived in the community or moved into the community, which for a church that was just starting and trying to have a, a focus on a particular neighborhood, I thought that was outstanding. Have about half of the membership uh, live there. Now, in God's grace, we've essentially doubled in size in terms of our membership. Our membership right now is about 133 people. We're about the size of the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1. And with the doubling of size, of course, that that probably means that the percentage of folks who live in the neighborhood uh, has gone down some, right? Some have moved in, some have moved on. You know, people are, are sort of, it's a flowing stream a church is. But, but I think the progress needs to be measured not just in terms of a process like living in a neighborhood, but we really want to measure the progress in terms of reaching the neighborhood. That's our biggest, that's our biggest 
sort of measure, if you will, right? Um, it, it, we could move into the neighborhood and all be in the neighborhood and still not know our neighbors. That's not a win, right? We, we want to be in the neighborhood for the neighbors to share the gospel that they might know this Jesus. And so you hear me say neighborhood. Let me tell you what I mean. In your bulletins, you've got a handout there. And um, on one side of the handout, you're going to see a map. I'm sorry for the the black and white. This looks much better in color. Um, But you're going to see a map there of Ward 8. So when you hear me say neighborhood, I I mean Ward 8, right? But I also mean if we're going to sort of be even more targeted, a particular sort of area of Ward 8. Uh, You see the number 8 there in the map? Just look just north of that, just above that. This is a map also of the neighborhood clusters in Washington, D.C. You got cluster 37 there. That's Sheridan, Barry Farms, and Buena Vista. And then to the right, you've got cluster 28. That's historic Anacostia. Some of you, uh, when you hear the word Anacostia, you think of everything east of the river is used that way sometimes. But technically, it's a particular neighborhood in the city, right? It's where it's basically where we're sort of boarded right now, where we are right now. So you've got Anacostia. And then just north of that, you've got cluster 34, which is Twining, Fairlawn, Randall Heights, Penn Branch, Fort Davis Park, Fort DuPont. Okay, so if this, if Ward 8 is a target, that, those sort of neighborhood clusters, that's the middle of the target. That's the center of the target. When we sort of set out to plant this church, we were thinking of the 20020 zip code. We were thinking of these neighborhood clusters. We were thinking of, of this area of the city. And so when you hear me say neighborhood, this is, this is what I'm thinking about. Now, here's the point I want to make about this map and this neighborhood. I don't think the neighborhood, our neighborhood, needs another commuter church, multi-site church, preaching station, or a church that starts in the neighborhood, gets kind of well off, and then moves to the suburbs. I don't think the neighbors need that experience anymore. What we need is another church that embraces the neighborhood with its whole heart, with its presence, and with its ministry and service. We need a visible, present, daily witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard me say this before, and I mean there's no, no shade to other churches, but if we were sort of to scatter right now and drive by some of the other churches, particularly some of the larger churches, and just sort of take a survey of the tags in the parking lot, most of the tags, a good number of the tags, are going to be Maryland and Virginia. Now, none of those folks would have been folks who maybe grew up in the community and then sort of got out and moved out and they've kept their church home and they come back. We're not mad at them. That, that's, that's, you know, this, again, it's not about shade, right? But what that means is every person who gets back into a car with a Maryland and Virginia plate and drives out of the city and lives their Monday through Saturday life and their Sunday evening life outside of the city robs the city, this neighborhood, of a Christian witness next door. That's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to be here till we get large enough to go get some big building out in the county uh, of Maryland somewhere where it's more affordable. If, if because of the lack of space, we just have to keep planting churches, we're going to praise God for that. Our ambition is to get the gospel next door to everybody in the neighborhood. Our ambition is to have the gospel available to everybody in the neighborhood every day. 
Our ambition is to so live out the, the truth that Jesus is the Christ on this daily basis in the temple and from home to home that we want to make it almost impossible for our neighbors to live a day without bumping into the gospel. And for that to happen, we've got to be present. We've got to be visible. And we want to reach the community, the neighborhood, with the gospel. Now, let me ask you this question. How many people do we have to reach in order to say that we have reached the four corners of the block if Ward 8 is our neighborhood? It's an open book test. You can see it right there in that same little handout there. You got the Ward 8 population there. You see it there? It's projected to be about this time 81,133 persons. And on the other side, you see that bar. You don't see that bar. That's the ARC membership. It was 133 persons. Now here's the question. If there were only one Christian in all of Ward 8, how long would it take them to reach the 81,000 people in our ward for Christ? Let's do it this way. If that one person in one year was able to share the gospel and lead someone to Christ, just one other person to Christ, and to help them grow in Christian maturity, such that in year two, you've got two Christians who each reach one other person, how long would it take us to reach the neighborhood? In year one, it would just be that one person. Year two, there'd be two. Year three, there'd be four. Year four, there would be eight. Year five would be six. See, I'm going to stop for my math. Year five would be 16. Your six would be 32. You see the graph there? This sort of exponential progression. It would take about 17 and a half years if, starting with one Christian, that one Christian reached one other person for Christ, and together each year, they each reached one other person. Now, how does that sound to you? Just pay attention to the background noise right now. If that, if your conscience seems to be suggesting to you, that's a nice math trick, but it doesn't work like that in real life. Or if in the back of your head you're thinking, ah, I don't, the whole evangelism thing makes me nervous, huh? we'll let Julian Humphrey be that one person who starts us, right? Just, just hold that for a moment, because that, is that I want to speak into when we come to talk about perspective. The reality is, beloved, we're, we're not, there's not just one Christian in Ward 8, and we're not the only Christian church that preaches the gospel in Ward 8. So our starting point is much better than that. But let's just say that we just start with ARC, the 133 persons that call ARC family. How long would it take us if each of us committed this day in prayer, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to share the gospel as close to daily as we can uh, with the ambition of reaching at least one other resident of Ward 8 with the gospel, seeing them converted and seeing them grow. How long would it take us as a congregation of 133 people to sort of reach this mission of reaching all of, of Ward 8? You see the second graph there, same thing, same map. You double it each year. It would take us 10 years to reach this ward if we were the only Christians in this, in this section of the city, and if we were, by God's grace, enable each of us to lead one other person to Christ from the neighborhood. Ten years. So here's what I want to press upon us as a goal. 
that we accept as a goal the complete evangelization and conversion of Ward 8 in 10 years. But we accept as our ambition, our goal, the complete evangelization and conversion of Ward 8 in 10 years. And what that means practically is that we each commit to prayer and to work to lead at least one person to Christ every year. What y'all think about that? Sarnay's still clapping. Is she the only one? Okay, Deb's now clapping. She was laughing earlier. She's clapping now. Amen. Amen. So what's our plan? Third plea. P, what's our plan? Let me give you uh, a couple of things to think about at sort of the corporate level, the church level, and then a couple of things, the questions for you at the personal level that I hope you'll sort of write these questions down, meditate on them, pray about them, make them a part of your own personal discipleship plan uh, as we work through this, this series. Uh, but let me give you sort of three broad strategies that I want to lead us toward as a church in this new year. Uh, they won't, just like Acts 5, 42, they won't be all big bang and splash. They're designed to help us live this sort of quiet daily life of faithful sharing of the gospel. Here's the strategy number one. We want to increase the percentage of us who live in the neighborhood on mission. Okay? I'm looking at someone in particular. I won't call their names, but you know, I, I, love, I love this person. They, 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 were, they were kind of funny. They told me to say, yo, Pastor T, I moved in the southeast. I said, oh, yeah, where? She said, well, not that part of Southeast, the other part over there in uh, Navy Yard. It's <laughs> like, all right, okay, we'll count that. We'll count that. That's close. So if you can get that close, get that close. If you can get closer, come on closer. Put it, put it on your radar to pray and to consider whether you should use your Christian freedom, that's what it is, whether you should use your Christian freedom for the sake of mission, for the sake of getting the gospel to our neighbors and reaching Ward 8 in 10 years, whether or not you should actually move into the neighborhood, become a neighbor, and serve the community. All right, so that's our, our first strategy. And to encourage, and encourage that, I want to do two things. You know, when we first started the church, um, we used to do what we call little vision tours. I'd get the van from Capitol Hill, and whoever would sign up, 10 or 15 people would pile in the van, and I would just basically drive through Anacostia, drive through the rest of Ward 8, give people a kind of tour in that. That was helpful for some folks. Some folks came on over. And so if you're interested in that, I'm happy to begin doing that again. Jahil has done that some. We're happy to sort of get you in the car, get in the van, introduce you to the neighborhood. I realize that a lot of us have in our heads not real knowledge of the neighborhood, but the stories you've heard and the news reports you've seen. I just want to tell you, that ain't all that's here. And honestly, it ain't most that's here. It's a lot more that's here. And everybody who is here is made in God's image. It's made for God's love. And so we want to begin to get to know the neighborhood and introduce ourselves to the neighborhood. And that's why I want to do a second thing. I don't know what to call it. What I've come up with so far uh, is, is Southeast Life with an F, Rick. S-O-U-F-E-A-S-T. Uh, so Southeast Life. 
that's just going to be a monthly little fellowship that we'll have at our home. Or if we get, you know, too big a number, we'll rent a space like at the Ark or something. Uh, maybe a little potluck fellowship. And each month, what we want to do is gather residents in the church here uh, who already live in Ward 8. Uh, and those who are thinking about moving into Ward 8. And, and those who are thinking about how do I build my social life in the ward and in the community. Uh, and each month, we're just going to sort of process and talk about life in Southeast. We'll have some particular sort of uh, conversations. So I'd love to start in February with our first event um, just on the theme, Living Single. What's it like to be single? Yeah, it's come back around, you know, so 20 some odd years, the show is around. You know, it's great when you get old enough that stuff was cool when you was young, it's cool again, it's come back in the news. So Living Single. Uh, and we'll talk about what, what, what the sort of challenges and opportunities are uh, living single in Southeast. So for example, my brother James Mullings lived for, I don't know, 20 years in Southeast as a single white brother, ministering in the neighborhood. That's a resource God has given us that, that we're not learning from as, as richly as we could. Right, And some of you have moved over right from the start as single young women, single young men, uh, and you've got two or three years under your belt. We need to be talking about that and processing that as a way of getting to know the community in more and more intimate ways and encouraging and helping each other to live on mission uh, for Christ. All right. So keep your ear out for that. Keep your eyes open for that. Let's start to sort of create ways to get to know the neighborhood and to serve the neighborhood in truth. Here's a second strategy. I mentioned this in the announcements, but we need to find a way to increase our visibility and participation in neighborhood events. Whether that is something that's already happening that we go participate in, or whether that's something that we create on behalf of the neighborhood in some way. So let me give you an example of each of those things. On next Monday, I mentioned this in the announcements, um, we'll have the MLK Day Parade uh, right here in Southeast, up and down uh, MLK uh, Avenue. It'll end at the community center in Barry Farms where there'll be a, a, a sort of organizational fair there. I want to encourage us to show up in the parade, in the Peace Parade. I want to encourage us to use that walk, however cold it is, to meet the people that we're walking next to to build some relationships, uh, to celebrate God's grace to us in the life and the legacy of Dr. King and the peace that we share that will be reflected in that march. And I want to encourage us to get a table, a vendor table, at that community organization fair, just where we just set out some, some, intro, some um, invitation cards to ARC, where we just man that table, get more conversations, pray with people, share the gospel as the Lord gives us opportunities. So I, I want us to build a calendar this year of community events where we should have a real presence, where we should let people know who we are, and more importantly, let people know who Jesus is, that he is the Christ. So we want to be intentional going into 2018 about how we do this. I'll give you another example. Uh, our sisters, Jamie and Jalicia, uh, one of the wonderful things I thought happened last year, um, sort of took the point um, and, and organized a three-on-three basketball tournament. And it was a wonderful, uh, Ali, I don't know how many of you guys came. I came and just, you know, talked trash. I ain't played. But I came and, and talked a lot of noise and stood on the sidelines. And some of y'all suited up and played. And there were a good number of persons from the community who came and participated in that tournament. I don't know if the sisters have it in their mind to do it again. I hope they do. But if they do, we should be owning stuff like that. And we should be creating opportunities like that uh, in order to sort of either fill a social hole in the community, but also create opportunity for the gospel and for us to serve people. 
And so this year, let us be committed to prayer and talking about how we are more visible and engaged in the, in the life of the community in these kinds of events. Here's a third, the third strategy, corporately, that I want to encourage. That we use our homes as the center of hospitality and evangelism. We use our homes as the center of hospitality and evangelism. Now I'm drawing that straight out of Acts chapter 5 where it says they were from house to house. Now one of the ways that we started doing that was literally going door to door, knocking on doors and trying to get conversations with neighbors. And so Jahil led that work. When we first got started, I would take us out about once a month. Jahil came down. You know, Jahil's a younger man, more zealous man than I am. He's like, we can do this every week, Pastor T. So he took it up and began to do it every week. Praise God. And we've had hit a little season where we kind of got off our stride with that. But I want to suggest that we, we not only do that kind of cold call evangelism, sort of knocking on doors, but I actually think from house to house might have another meaning in this text. And to illustrate that, turn back with me to Mark's gospel again. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. And I think this aspect of house to house actually is more doable and maybe raises less fear for us if we suffer with that. Notice what, notice what the text says. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. says, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So Jesus has just called this tax collector Levi to come be his disciple. And Levi responds in obedience and, and follows Jesus. Now notice what happens next in verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, they just went from outside at the tax booth, Levi collecting people's taxes, to inside at Levi's house having dinner, chilling at the table. Notice now, he reclined at table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. You see what Levi did? Levi is fresh out the world. And Levi like, well, I don't know how to follow Jesus, but I know how to party. And Levi said, look, bro, come over to the house, man. I'm going to get some people together. And, you know, we have a little fish fry, we break out some wine, and, and you can tell them what you told me. And so from house to house in the New Testament often looks like the Christian opening his or her home, inviting their non-Christian family and friends into their home where Jesus is present. And I think that's instructive for us. That it doesn't have to be knocking on people's doors that you don't know all the time, though we should do that too. But maybe some of us should flip that a little bit. Say, no, wait a minute. I've got family and friends who would be happy to come here. But let me invite Peter over. Because he's going to be the one that breaks open the word. Or Thabiti over. Or Jahil over. Let me invite Precious over. Or let me invite Deb over. And let me invite Kylie over. And, and let's make sure that we party with a purpose. That we use those relationships the Lord has given us. That he saved us out of for the benefit of those people who don't yet know Jesus. And so I want to encourage us this year to think hard about this kind of Levi method of house-to-house ministry. Host dinners and parties where we share Jesus. And I want to encourage us to convert more of our small groups to block groups. 
that was sort of our passion when we got started with this. And, and it's my fault that I, I, I let that shift to more discipleship groups and become more inwardly focused. Nothing wrong with that. But what we have come here for is to turn out to our neighbors and to reach the block. And so I want to encourage us, and I'll talk with some of you as small group leaders and some of you who maybe want to lead small groups to let's make sure we turn those out, as many of those we can, out onto the block and, and make sure we have a clear missional evangelistic purpose in those things. So on the corporate level, that's what we're up to. If we're going to reach the community, we have to get in it and we have to get at it. So what about you personally? Let me give you some questions to think about and to pray about where your own personal contribution to this mission is concerned. The first question is this. What is my plan for moving into the neighborhood and or building my social life in the neighborhood? What is my plan? What is the Lord moving me to do? How is he stirring me? What is he laying on my heart in that regard? Number two. What is my plan for growing as an evangelist? I realize in all this conversation about evangelism, this is one of the things that make Christians really quite nervous and uncomfortable. And the fear of man seizes us and we are tempted to shrink back. Well, that's okay. That's a human feeling. But we must not give in to that. We must sort of lean into the gospel and into Christ. And we must grow and develop skills at sharing the gospel if that's what we need to do. So what's our plan for growing as an evangelist in 2018? Number three. And what's my plan for sharing the message with the people in Ward 8? So whether you move into the community or not, what's your plan for joining us in this mission to share the gospel with people in Ward 8? How are you going to use your home? It's going to be part of that Levi strategy from house to house. How are you going to engage unbelieving friends? How are you going to meet neighbors? How are you going to build your social life into the community? Those are three questions I want to leave with you as we conclude with our final P, perspective. What perspective should we do this with? Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. I think Jesus gives us the perspective in a couple of parables, a couple of stories, symbolic stories about the kingdom of God and how it spreads. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. He's talking to his disciples and he's talking to the crowds and, and this is what he says about the kingdom of God. He says in verse 26, the kingdom of God It's as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. That's the first parable. It's the second parable in verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, when you're reading the parables, the parables are not meant to be interpreted every detail of it. It's meant to teach one main point. And with each of these parables, Jesus is driving home one main point about the kingdom of heaven. And the first point that he draws in in that first parable, verses 26 to 29, I think very simply is this. Sow the gospel and take a nap. Sow the gospel and then go rest. 
Because the gospel itself is what works. It is the gospel that produces new life and new fruit and sprouts up like a, like a harvest. And so it's not down to how clever we are. It's not down to what kinds of programs we have. It's really down to us just being faithful as sowers. We just go out and spread the seed. Then it said it in his testimony. One man plants, another man waters, but who gives the increase? God gives the increase. So we're not trying to take the place of God in converting people, but we are trying to do the work of God in spreading the seed of the gospel. And we want to do that faithfully, daily, from house to house, preaching that Jesus is the Christ. What's the point of the second parable? Well, the point of the second parable, I think, might be put this way. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. You see there, he says the kingdom of God is like a seed that's, that's the smallest of all the seeds. It's a, it's a nothing thing. It's 120 disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem. It's 133 Christians at Anacostia River Church compared to 81,000 people in Ward 8 alone. We're dropping the bucket. We're one drop of rain in an ocean. But we're not meant to be discouraged by that. We're not even meant to evaluate ourselves by that. We're meant to recognize that the way God's kingdom grows is small at first. It's quiet. It's almost invisible. You don't, you don't notice it. But, but then it sort of sprouts and grows and harvests. And the next thing you know, it's a big tree or a big bush in which birds of the air rest. And I believe that's how God grows his kingdom still. And I believe that's how God will grow his kingdom in our neighborhood. And I believe that he'll take the 130 of us and he'll make us faithful and give us grace to be faithful. And I believe that the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. And I am convinced that if we share that gospel, people will believe. And I'm convinced that when they believe having met this Jesus and knowing that he is their Christ, they will tell others also. And so this work ain't about being flashy and big. It's now how God works. But this little mustard seed called ARC, if we fall into the ground and die, we will produce great fruit. Here's the other thing I want to say to us about perspective. All of this requires that we live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if we don't believe in God, that he will bless his gospel. And if we don't believe that God will use us to reach others, well, guess what we won't do? We won't share the gospel day to day. Uh, In fact, we'll only share the gospel when God makes it impossible for us to avoid it. This text and all the Bible calls us to faith, to trust God, to believe in God, to stake something on the name of God, to risk something believing that God's promise to be with us is true, to spread the gospel and to feel the foolishness of preaching, knowing that it's the foolishness that God has chosen to confound the wise and that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Do you believe that? I hope we believe that. And we're not just passing time. 
And we're not just going through the motions, but with purpose and intentionality and faith that we are that mustard seed, that God will work for us and through us and in us to reach Ward 8 in how long? 10 years. If you feel challenged by that, pray that God would give you faith. And having prayed that, then act like God keeps his promises. So we're going to start this year committed to the message, savoring it, enjoying it for ourselves, and sharing it with others. Beloved, if you're a Christian, God has saved you. There's nothing you owe God. There's nothing you must do to please God. He's accepted you. He loves you. He's declared you righteous. None of your faults, none of your struggles surprise him or turn his affection away from you. He is near you. He's with you. Indeed, he's in you, the hope of glory. Enjoy this Christ and his gospel and share it. And someone else might have that same joy, both now and forevermore. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. And after prayer, I'm going to invite our sister Carly and the, and the Kenya team to come up to talk a little bit about uh, how this has happened through this little church family in Kenya. So our mission statement is we exist to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of God from the four corners of the block to the four corners of the globe. We've been talking about the four corners of the block in this sermon. Carly and team are going to come up and say just a word about the four corners of the globe. And we're going to pray and ask the Lord to bless us to do this all year long. So let me pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us. We're a needy people. And, and apart from you, we can do nothing. You told us that. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would, you would help us to bear fruit in keeping with your glory and to live lives that are worthy of our calling. We do. It, our best selves in our heart of hearts, we want to see our family members and our neighbors, we want to see the residents of our community saved from their sin and in love with you as their God, praising you and serving you in their lives, transformed by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit. And we do repent of our faithlessness. And we repent of the fear of man. And we repent of the love of comfort. And we do ask, O oh Lord, that you would have your way in our lives. From where we live to to where we socialize, to the words that come out of our mouths, O oh Lord, have your way with us, we pray. And have your way with this neighborhood. Win every soul to Jesus, we pray. And give us a zeal to see it done. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would even this morning, if there's one under the sound of my voice that doesn't yet know you, when they've heard about you and know a few scattered facts about your son, but they haven't understood that they are sinners in danger of judgment. And Jesus is a Savior who rescues from judgment. And that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they can be reconciled to you, have their sins forgiven, become new creatures, and live eternally, eternally in your love. If they've not understood that, Lord, give them grace to understand that now. 
to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus and follow him like Levi. Maybe throw a party this afternoon and tell people about Jesus. Lord, let them make that known that you are at work in their heart in that way. If they have questions, Lord, give them confidence to, to come to any of us with the questions they have. And let us, Lord, speak the truth of the gospel to them, we pray. Do this for their eternal life and eternal joy and for your glory. These things we ask, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.